Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Lord, we, we understand that brokenness. We understand that brokenness in our own lives. It's all too real. And yet redemption, the redemption wins, is the key. Thank you for that song to remind us that life is challenging. And there's still hope in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Or you can stay seated. How about that? Or if you're a kid, you can run. Go, kids, go. Run. Yeah, go ahead. Mr. Matheson, I know that you are in financial trouble. This box may be the answer to your problem. If you push this button, two things will happen. One, someone somewhere in the world who you don't know will die. Okay. And two... You just, you just pushed, you just pushed the button. You just, you didn't let me finish. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, someone somewhere in the world will die. Got it. Don't hit it again. That's I, the second. No, just let me finish. But you'll get a million dollars. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Great. That's great. Yeah. You just hit it three times. You killed three people. Wonderful. Can I have my million dollars? It was supposed to be like a moral puzzle. Solved. Yeah, no, that's not how you solve the puzzle. It's not that kind of puzzle. I don't, I don't you just kill four people. Okay. Do you understand that? Yes. You kill four people. You hit them four times. What? Is that? Should I? Don't round don't up? hit it again. Round you just up? okay? No, don't round up. Round up, round up to, to what? Five. To five? I don't understand. You don't want to kill? What? Just okay. Look. The... Yeah, here. Okay. Here's your million dollars. There, there you go. Why'd you hit it again? Why'd you hit it again? I would like a second million dollars, please. It doesn't work that way. You just get one million dollars. Take it. No deal. That's not what? No, what deal? What? I choose the box. Stop hitting the button. You're not choosing the box. You don't get the box. The box isn't part of the deal. Ow, my finger got caught in this box. Don't! Every time we hear the phrase, pushing your buttons, we automatically go to the negative sense. Something inside us, when we hear that phrase, reminds us of the uncanny knack that some people have of being annoying, of striking your last nerve, of fo- focusing and forcing us a, a, re- a negative response. Just last night, Kenny and I were together. Well, I saw Kenny. Kenny pushing buttons. No, but Kenny was a part of pushing buttons. 
we were at a hockey game. And if you've ever been to a hockey game uh, at Erie, there, there sometimes is some button pushing going on. But when London comes in, there's extra pushing of buttons. They play uh, Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline, and I'll leave you to, I'll tell you afterwards if you want to know what they say. It's not, it's not real kind. Um, but there were lots of buttons pushed last night to the point of there were a bunch of fights. There was a bunch of, uh, the other team threw hockey sticks on the ice at one point as a distraction. I don't know. I saw our guys steal the helmet of one of their guys that got left out there. I saw him hook it, throw it right back in the thing. Now, I don't know if he ever got it back or not. It doesn't matter. Some of us, you know what? Some of us are lost without the clicker. Oh. Yeah, I didn't push the right button. I had to find it. <clears throat> Some of us are better at looking and seeing buttons. I think some of us are different, wired differently. Some of us are more like goldfish who wander around absorbing things. And others are more like piranhas. Both of those are fish, by the way, right? Both deal with life in two very, very different ways. One just swims around sucking whatever is uh, in the water, the other is more aggressive going after its meal. Both being fed two very different strategies. When I heard this passage, Psalm 13, that, that Mark was leading a group of people, and I would encourage you to jump in a, as well, leading this a group of, of people trying to memorize that passage, it really stuck out to me. It, it, it struck me uh, as kind of odd. And, uh, and as I read it Sunday afternoon after we had left, one out of, I told Mark, half embarrassment because when Mark asked the question, what questions are asked in Psalm 13, I honestly didn't know. I, I couldn't answer the question either. And so, but I hadn't been memorizing it. And so when I got to jumping into it, I, got, I, I asked myself this question, what is going on in Psalm 13? Is this a three-sitting psalm? If you don't know, there's six verses. And if you, get a, if you read it and take very long, you'll see the first two verses, the second two verses, and the third set of two verses are all very different in their mindset. And so I asked myself, the first thought was, this obviously is a three-sitting psalm, right? He wrote two verses, and then he, had to, he got called by his wife to take care of the kids, and a week later, he comes back and he writes two more verses and then something, the dog needs to go out. And, and then he comes back a third time and he writes the last two verses. And he's in three different, extremely different spots. Is that what's going on here? Is that what King David uh, is, has going here? And I don't know if you look at many of the Psalms, but some Psalms have a backstory. So you, if you look at the psalm, it'll also tell you to look at this passage uh, in the notes. And it'll say, hey, check this out, because this is what was going on when David wrote it. Uh, sadly, this one doesn't have that. So we don't get a sense of where he was at exactly in life at the moment he wrote it. But my first thought was, this is obviously a three-sitting psalm. Or maybe it was legitimately a mental health breakdown. And, and I say that, I don't say that lightly, 
But if you read it, and you read the first two verses and the second two verses and the third set of two verses, you'll get a very different sense of where David is. And did he, was, he, was he legitimately bipolar? Was there something going on? Did he have a mental breakdown in the process? And I don't, I don't say that lightly, but legitimately, if I read that, and if, if, you, if I wrote that and you read it from me, you would question what was going on in my mind if you honestly believed I wrote that all in one sitting. Only you can. But you know me. Sometimes. Or was it by the third one? Just an honest interaction with God. An honest interaction with God. Was David able to push God's buttons? And so God would respond. Wow, it got really quiet there. That's a crazy idea, is it not? See, because when we think about pushing someone's buttons, we think about the negative. But the question I have for you today, and I believe that David uh, offers something very uh, powerful in this psalm for us, if we're willing to listen. There's something valuable in this psalm because maybe too we can have the formula that pushes God's button. For some of us that may be to some maybe a little bit sacrilegious. It might feel a little bit edgy. It might feel like what's going on here? Don't I just do my normal thing, say my little prayer, and hope God hears me? What's David doing here? Is it because he's the king that he can say those things? He can call out God. Can he question God in his decision-making? Can he challenge God where he's at? If you read that passage, quickly figure out that there's a good chance that David could be suicidal. I promise you he didn't write it with a happy, smiley face on. But rather with a determined, with angst, with frustration... How, God, how long, God, are you going to leave me hanging? How long will you turn your face from me? I think all too often, as believers, we think that's out of bounds. That God's shoulders somehow aren't big enough to take our frustration, to take our anger to take our confusion and our frustration, just not be able to take those questions. And all too often, I think we come into the sanctuary with that mindset. I'll not question God. I'll not ask God the hard questions. I'll not seek His face and then trust Him in what His answer is. 
And I can't figure out why it doesn't work. I can't figure out why my faith isn't working. David, I believe, knows how to push God's buttons. And I believe that's a positive thing. The first thing he does in the first two verses is he cries out honestly to God. He says, how long, Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face? How long shall I take counsel in my own soul, having sorrow all day? How long will you let my enemy win? How long, O Lord? Remember that piece that said, are you willing to listen? I'm going to challenge you this morning to listen. I think way too often, all too often, people walk into this sanctuary, and sanctuaries all over this world, with a beautiful smiley face on. And I have a very unique position that there aren't many things I don't know about you guys. You may not know that I know, but there are a lot of connections. So people walk in with this great smiley face like everything is good. And when I ask them, how, how are things going? Perfect, great, doing well, life is good. Couldn't ask to be better. And the reality is there are struggles in each of our lives. We walk into the sanctuary and we suddenly figure out that somehow things have to be better because we are in church. We can't be honest with anyone near us. And I'm not asking you to spill your guts in front of the church. Not that at all. But I am asking you this question. Do you have anyone who you can share your struggles with? Do you have anyone that you can lay those burdens in front of? Or challenge the struggles you're in? There are no doubt in my mind that some people are dealt tougher hands than others. That's just the reality. <laughs> we see it in Scripture. We see it in our life. Some people seem to have it figured out or everything rolls their way. And then some people... We'd like to blame it on the things that they do or they don't do, but the reality is that sometimes the cards are just different. Are you able or willing to cry out honestly to God? Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. I wonder when the last time you honestly knelt down and took what was really on your heart, the struggles of your life, in tears, in trembling, in frustration, in anger, and took them to God. See, we talk a lot about it. We're really good at talking. I'm really good at telling you how I do that and really bad at doing it. 
if we're going to do the vision that God has put on this church, the, the hospital vision, the hospital mentality, the understanding that, that things are broken and need repaired, it's going to be messy. I promise you one thing. It's going to be messy. There are not going to be clear-cut A, B, and Cs. Why? Because we're human. And our humanness brings in a lot of struggles and trials. It starts with being honest with, our, with God about where we're at. It's honest about crying out to God, telling Him what's on our heart. Sharing the things we might not share with our spouse or anyone else in this world. Sharing the struggles we have, the frustrations we feel, the things that roll through our minds. David pushes God's buttons for a reason. Because he's honest that there's one guy that I appreciate in the scriptures the most for the way that he is honest about where he's at. Sometimes he's pretty thick-headed. But the reality is he's honest with God about where he's at. Go to Psalm 51 if you want. When you get a chance, write that down and read about David's uh, undoing. David cries out honestly to God. He shares with God his inmost feelings, his emotions, what's on his heart. He's not, he's not afraid to understand that God already knows what's going on in his heart. And that crying out and actually saying those things has value. If you don't like where you're at today, Take that to God. Find someone to pray with you and take that to God. Honestly share that life is not where I want it to be. I don't like it. I don't like my life. I don't like what's going on. I don't like where I've been put. I don't like this thing I'm in. Be honest about where you're at. And then David asked the hard questions. I think all too often we're afraid to ask God the hard questions. But when we look in Scripture, we see God's people, those who are closest with Him, willing and able to ask the hard questions of God. If you go too far, you might get, you might get Job's response, right? God let him go for a while. He let him go and let him go and let him go. And finally, he's like, yo, where were you when I created the earth? But David says, look on me, Lord, and answer me. Give light to my eyes or I'm going to die. I'm asking God that you turn around and tell me. Help me understand. And if you think David said this in some nice, kind, little, fuzzy, and warm way, you're extremely misunderstood. I sometimes wish we had a little button in our Bible that would 
help us understand the how it was said, right? <laughs> or uh, I have a friend who does sarcastic font in text, so I know when the letters are back uh, back tilted, that's sarcastic font, and so I can I can read that tongue in cheek when I'm reading a text. I'll remind you of a great example, well, a perfect example of asking the hard questions. Jesus in Matthew 27, while he's on the cross, cries out, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He pulls that out of uh, Psalm, I think it's 22. He memorized the Psalms too. You guys might be on to something. He didn't say it on the cross. Oh, happy-go-lucky. He cried it out. He screamed in agony right before he died. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Church, we need to learn from David's example in this passage. And we see Jesus do the same thing. Ask God the hard questions. Cry out to Him. There's a scripture that I love in 2 Kings chapter 20. Well, it's about 18 to 20. If you got nothing to read, it's a great story about a guy named Hezekiah. It said he was one of the few guys, one of the few kings who was just. He did the things God wanted him to do. He followed God's law. He did what he was asked to do, kept his, his life in order. He was, he was following God, doing what he was supposed to. He comes down sick, and the prophet Isaiah comes to him. He comes to visit, hospital visit, I guess, you know. And Isaiah says, Hezekiah, I need to tell you what the Lord has told me to tell you. Get your stuff in order. You will not survive this illness. Get your stuff in order. You're going to die. And the scripture says he turned to the wall, which means he turned away from Isaiah. Some would say that was giving up. But rather, he started to pray. And we don't know what he prayed. We don't have those words. But Isaiah left. And on the way out, Isaiah is leaving Hezekiah's, the, the, the king's palace. And he gets a word from God. Turn around and go back in. Go back in and tell Hezekiah this. Tell Hezekiah that I, God, have heard your prayer and I will heal you. I'm going to heal you and I'm not going to give you uh, 15 more days or 15 more weeks. But rather I'm going to give you 15 more years to serve me. 
We could say, well, maybe Isaiah didn't hear it right the first time. Or we could say, well, maybe Hezekiah pushed God's button. There's other, there's other examples where people ask for things that doesn't come true. Sodom and Gomorrah is a great example. Finally, the last two verses, David says, I am going to trust the response you give me, God. I will trust in your unfailing love. I know for a fact that you have my back. My best interest is in your your mind and in your plan. And even when I don't understand and it doesn't make sense and I can't make one and one, one and one plus two, one, one plus one equal two, I know you, God, can. I'm going to trust that you have it figured out. See, trust is the link. It's the link between uh, our broken, uh, sappy, not-so-good faith and the love of God. Even when we don't have it figured out, which is more often than not. God has it already figured out. The problem is when something happens, it's out of his will, as we would think. We struggle. We give up. We quit crying out. We quit asking the hard questions. We quit trusting that God has our best interests in mind. All too often, well, every time, we're the one that breaks the link of trust. We're the one that gives up on God. We're the one that forgets that He has our best interests in mind. We're the one who isn't willing to take it to Him. We're the one who struggles. I wonder how often we should be on our knees begging God, imploring God to work in our life rather than thank you, Lord, for this food. Amen. That's where it begins. And that's where it ends. On our knees before our Savior. We have a a very little responsibility. But one of the responsibilities we have in our faith walk is this. Crying out to God. Telling Him that we are a mess. That we are the problem. And we need His help. We need to call on the name of Jesus and take him into our life. The question that I have for you this morning is, 
Will you push the button? The illustration at the beginning is ridiculous, is it not? The video was hilarious because they were trying to make some philosophical point, he says. And oh, if I could get people to understand. That pushing God's button is first and foremost calling on him. Asking him to change the things in life that aren't going well. Asking him to come and be a part of your life. To take over. To take charge. So easy to say and hard to do. I wanted to end this morning with a video, one more video. It would have been like magic video day because we'd had more than ever. But I'm not sure you guys are up for it. But if, I still feel like someone needs to hear it. I was going to end this morning's video with a video from a rapper called NF. And, and the video is called Oh Lord. And it's a great, a great rap but I wasn't sure you guys could handle it. A little bit sketchy to be able to put a rap in church. Eh. But the rap is all about this. Understanding that we as humans are really good at calling on God when things are bad. When we're on our, he says, when I'm on my deathbed, I'll call on you, Lord. But until then, I really don't need you. And he's honestly asking the question, oh Lord, are you there? Are you there in the hard times? Are you there in the good times? Will you be there when I need you most? Now, this is, we're in overtime. I don't know what time it is because the clock says it's 7 o'clock, so we're good, I guess. Lots of time. I want to I encourage you to do something this week. I mean, I want to encourage you, one, to memorize Psalm 13. But I want you to do something. If you don't memorize Psalm 13, you have to answer to Mark, not me. And it's not a palindrome. I don't know what it is, Mark. I, can, I couldn't figure out what it was. But I want to challenge you to try something. I want you to go home and read Psalm 13 backwards. Read verse 6, then read verse 5, then read verse 4, then re read verse 3, then read verse 2, and then read verse 1. And then I want you to ask yourself one really challenging question. Am I living my life the way David wrote it? Or am I living my life backwards? Let's pray. Lord, all too often we're living life backwards. Trusting, then crying, then asking where you're at. Lord, your word is powerful.
because your people wrote great poems, great songs, great reminders of your love. Lord, we thank you for the love that Jesus offers each one of us. Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts. Lord, you offer the altar and the way to come and to lay those burdens down. And Lord, we so often walk right back out the door with the same burdens we brought in. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to cry out, to be honest about where we're at, and to trust in faith that you have our best plan in mind. In your name we pray. Amen.